0: Recorded live.
1: Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba new news. Scuba Obsessed episode 96 recorded live December 29th, 2011. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. This week, some of the articles we have in the news. We have Charter Boat as transportation, a U.S. destroying lake trout, a shark fin merchant saying, kill them or they'll kill you. And then we also have a new shipwreck mit added to the National Register. And as always, I'd like to welcome my co-host. And this week, it is Mac. How are you doing today, Mac?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you.
1: It's hard to believe. I'm throwing all out of whack. I've been off work for... Well over a week now, and I'm just not accustomed to this amount of laziness, but I think I'm more than capable of being this lazy.
0: You, you mean you haven't used your off time to go more diving?
1: Well, I didn't say that, <laughs> but I'm definitely being lazy.
0: You should be out there diving. The weather is great.
1: Is the weather good?
0: Well, you figure it was, what, 48 today?
1: Did it get that warm? I didn't even go outside today. <laughs> it, was, it was 48. Well, now, I know we had, uh, we had snow yesterday.
0: Yeah, when we were diving the other day, we were we had snow when we started. Uh you actually had skim ice out there too.
1: We did? Really? Little skim.
0: Oh yeah, it's around the shoreline.
1: So we're we're getting there. Won't be too long. I was yep. going today and organizing my pictures from last year, cleaning them up. I got a new phone yesterday and I've uh, I'm moving everything over from one to the other. And it's amazing how much different the weather and the dive conditions can be in just a little over 30 days.
0: Oh, tremendous. I was out over at Paw Paw today. Uh, we had white caps. There is no ice. <laughs> uh, and we actually had some visibility.
1: Really? So you got you got to get wet in Paw Paw?
0: Uh, I was out there doing more, looking for accesses. Okay. Uh, so I did not get wet, wet. It was tempting. <laughs> But it was a little breezy out there, let me tell you.
1: Yeah, we did have a little bit of wind, but it's been off or on. I mean, there's there's we we'll start in the morning and we'll have gale forced winds, and then in the afternoon it will be all dead. So it's just that time of year where we don't know what we're going to have.
0: That's right. So get out there and dive, dive, dive. Whenever yeah, the opportunity any, is there.
1: Yeah, any chance you get to dive, you need to be getting out there and getting wet. And we'll cover that when we get to that point of the show. Where we'll talk about last week's dives, but the first article up. And, Mac, I don't even know if I sent this one on to you.
0: Probably Uh, not.
1: (laughs) No, I probably, I think I found this one after I sent the show notes on, so I'll paste it into you in Skype so you can take a look. But uh, what caught my attention on this one is uh, just kind of what is the expectation of a dive boat.
0: That's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, it says uh, charter boats primarily transportation, underwater safety, mostly up to the divers. And this article goes on quite a bit. And uh, most charter boat, dive, uh, most dive boats provide little more than taxi service. Dive industry observer says, dive masters who are trained and responsible for planning and overseeing the dive safety are not typically supplied on freshwater charter dive boats anywhere in North America. And then there's a quote from uh, George Hopper, uh, Bruce Peninsula coroner <laughs> and the scuba death investigator. He says they don't want to have a sense that they have an obligation beyond just being a taxi. Most of them. Uh, the basic responsibility always comes down to the buddy, a rescue diver in trouble. Here we don't have the dive masters.
0: You know, it, it's sort of interesting. I was talking today with uh, Dave, Dave Faulkner, mm-hmm. and he dives down there in uh, Florida. He likes it down there. And as uh, matter of fact, I think one of your articles, the one on the airplane?
1: Yeah. yeah. The
0: one, okay. That gentleman who runs that charter, I think it's Emerald, uh, he talked about he only takes experienced divers out. And then the topic, of course, came up. What does that mean? Does that mean open water certification, deep diver, tech diver? And he himself put down four items he looks for in the people who come on his boat. And uh, we could go into that later. But it was interesting because he is a charter. He does provide other items, unlike the freshwater people. But he also had expectations of the divers he took on board.
1: So but, so, how much did he, did he say was qualified as a diver?
0: Well, he just gave some items. He says he can tell how and what the quality of the diver is, is do they show up on time prepared to get on the boat and ready to go? He talked about are they trying out brand new gear they have never tried before on one of his dives? And his his philosophy there is when you're coming out there to do serious diving, you should not be doing something brand new, a new piece of equipment, life type, you know, like regulators, uh, went to sling bottles instead of your normal back bottles. Because, you know, you're setting yourself up for something out of the norm and setting him up. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the other ones are real quick now. Oh, uh, this should not be your first kind of dive in that environment. If you're not used to saltwater diving, deep diving, you should have been doing some pre-diving before you get there. So it's current. You know what I mean? If you're in here ice diving, you've never dove in in the tropics. You shouldn't go there and make that your first dive as a deep dive on a boat. You should get into the water. Get get some surf time, get some shallow water time in. That makes sense.
1: You know, it, it does, but it almost sounds a little bit like not on my boat. You know, because it, let's play devil's advocate. Say that all, I've been I've got a hundred dives in Lake Michigan, and now I've been planning a trip and I want to get out to the East Coast. I'm gonna say I'm an experienced diver, but I'm not gonna say I'm experienced in saltwater. And how would he? You know, I'm gonna he's gonna rely on me showing up and then use that as a gauge of whether he's going to let me dive or not. I mean, that's a I, way to have somebody who's really ticked.
0: I am sure he'd also use your logbook to show the experience, the frequency of diving, the equipment that you're used to.
1: Yeah. And maybe I'm not yeah. a good, a good if example, but
0: if that's his boat though, and you know, his expectations, yeah. there well, shouldn't I, be surprises when you show up.
1: Well, I'm I guess that's what, what I'm trying to figure out is how does somebody set the expectations for what, how your experience, you know, is he making it clear when people book or, yeah, you know, and I hope he would, because it, it doesn't benefit anybody if you get a bunch of people and then you have to deny them that you're going to go out.
0: Right. But it was interesting. We're talking about what does a boat up here provide versus down there. But it's also what do you expect if you have somebody on your boat? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. again, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it from the aspect of out in the salt water versus inland. And I think that's pretty much right. It's, it's transportation from point A to point B. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. I, I like it when they have O2 on. I do ask if they have radios, if I'm paying charter money, meaning do you have the frequency for the Coast Guard? Mm-hmm. But I, hopefully I've done my homework, know where the, know the closest chamber is.
1: Yeah, but in the freshwater, I don't really think I would expect more than uh, a taxi service, actually. And I don't know why would that be different than any place else. Uh, one thing they mentioned in the article was that the wrecks are buoyed, which you know many of ours are, or you would hope that the, uh, the dive charter or captain would be able to get you on the wreck. Uh, but then also if you look at how some of these charters are done, you know, if you look at what Rich and Divers Incorporated does, is a lot of times he's booking those boats. So if you book them through a dive club, not dive club, uh, a dive shop, then you've got you know, your dive master with you. It, and that's something to check on. I mean, that'd be a question to ask for whoever you book it. If you think you need that extra assistance, uh, make sure that they've got a, a dive master coming along.
0: Well, that goes back. Let's just go where, where we just came from, Cooper River. What kind of experience would you have or should you have for that dive? And what was the test to let us go do that dive?
1: I mean, that that's a very good question. Um, I think for us, it was a fact that we were experienced river divers with low visibility. Yeah. Uh, you know, And I think our cold water diving was a little bit of an advantage. Not that I think that that was cold water diving, but okay. it definitely was. I never realized how much stress cold water puts you in until you dive in warm water because you you got a little bit less stress going in
0: well we already know that if you got clear water warm water your stress levels a lot less than when you're in dark water cold water regardless of 30 feet or 120 feet you know uh you take the the south diving and put them at 120 feet with 30 feet visibility they're not going to be comfortable even in warm water
1: no that's very true
0: and part wow. of it's due to the marine life hazards that, you know, 100 feet away, I got some idea I can, I can maybe defend myself 30 foot coming out of the black. I would not be comfortable with that.
1: No. Well, that's the other thing about wreck diving. If you're coming from, uh, you know, doing beach dives or other types of dives and you go in Lake Michigan and you do a wreck, that first time down is definitely quite a, quite a different experience coming down the anchor line and then having that, that wreck appear before you. You now, difference in three or four feet is uh, for me can see nothing to where you can you're right on the wreck.
0: Right, and that doesn't even count doing a penetration on a wreck, since most of ours we don't because they're rubble, and penetration diving that's even different, much more different, especially in limited biz.
1: Yeah, so I just it's I just saw it. that one after the show notes, and I thought that just was kind of an interesting idea of just the uh, the difference between uh, and it, and they're making it sound like freshwater versus saltwater.
0: Yeah, it does that was interesting. That's a good food for thought over the uh, coffee table one time after a dive. What kind of people, what kind of chat you got out there saying or talking about it?
1: Well, we've got one where it says if you're taking somebody out in your boat, you're responsible for, having them, for them having a good day and safely bringing them back home.
0: But how do you do that? You know, well, once you are off your boat, how do you make sure they're going to come back?
1: Well, in that article, the one point they got, they, they said is where do you draw the line? Because it seems like uh, what were the differences that the, some of the saltwater captains have, have decided that they want to have that. But then also I think it has to do with the type of divers that are coming on as to the amount of services that you're expected to supply. I think with the nature of some of the, you know, if you let's say Florida, you've got a lot of people who probably don't have more than two or three dives are coming down there and they want to go out and see a wreck. So probably for just sake of convenience, uh, any sort of uh, efficiency, you have to have that dive master on those boats. I mean, could you imagine having a boat of 20 people who didn't know what they were doing, just kind of wandering around?
0: That's we're, scary.
1: Where in Lake Michigan, yeah, I'm stereotyping, but we'll have six or eight people on a boat, but they're all fairly experienced.
0: And they generally know each other.
1: Right. You know, we we come with our own dive buddies on the boat. So we've kind of worked out the the rookies going with who and the experience and you know what the dive plan is
0: and that's something we do try to do though is put newer people with older people and i don't mean age-wise
1: oh i was going to say something
0: <laughs> i figured you would good questions I, it'd be interesting to have a nice talk about that yeah with around robin talks
1: yeah and, and then jim schultz was, was saying this kind of what we were saying before but what if the captain doesn't think i'm qualified for the dive what am i to do okay this next one This is uh, U.S. is destroying 434,000 lake trout out of fear for rock snot. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is destroying 434,000 four-inch lake trout in a Vermont fish hatchery because it fears that if they stocked the Great Lakes with them, they could spread an invasive algae known as rock snot. The hatchery, which is in Bethel, was contaminated by water from the White River during flooding from Tropical Storm Irene. Rocksnot is more formally known as didymo, can overwhelm cold water lakes and streams. Lake trout have been raised for stocking in Lakes Erie and Ontario. Fish and Wildlife spokesman says officials felt the, rock, the risk of spreading rock snot was too great to stock the fish. And then, Mac, you found another article which was showing a little bit more about rock snot.
0: I was looking at the that other site that they sent you. Yep. Uh, it, it's quite interesting the picture of the one guy holding a, a handful of this is really wild, but the note here this is let me think, I think this is the one I had from uh, the Pennsylvania uh, Fish and Boat Commission that we're talking about here. The uh, rock snot or di- digimo can smother entire stream beds with mats as thick as eight inches and ruin just about any river or creek can be found on rocks and moving water. It's often mistaken for fiberglass or toilet tissue. And like most other algae, it feels like wet and isn't slimy. Now, I'm looking at the picture of this guy holding this in his bare hand. Ain't going to (laughs) happen. That stuff looks like it came right out of the raw sewage pond there, buddy.
1: (laughs) Floaties and all?
0: Oh, you you need to look at this picture. That'll turn your stomach. I think I noticed it, too. And it's got a secondary picture in um, a free-flowing stream of what it looks like, and it does. It looks like loose fiberglass, you know, wet matted stuff. That's interesting.
1: Which which one was this? Is this the one from? Uh,
0: that was the uh, fish dot state paus. I think I sent that to you.
1: Yep, I've got that one, and we'll also paste that, it in the, the
0: other chat stuff, room. That, that's interesting. But like we were talking about earlier, the decon for that is quite interesting. Uh, you got to freeze it totally to, to kill it. That or totally dry it out, but it said it can survive for months if it's slightly moist. And if it's non-absorbent, you're basically going to decon it with bleach or hot water above 140 degrees. If it's absorbent items, like waders felt on the inside, you have to get the hot water up to, uh, let's see what it says there, hot water plus detergent above 113, uh, soaked for 40 minutes in hot water above 113. Sound like it's hard to kill. And like you said... As soon as you put a boat in and that matting on the rails gets that stuff in it, every time that guy puts his boat back in, he just helped infect something.
1: Yeah, I just don't know how they're going to stop it. I'm I'm, I'm all for trying, but that's a massive education that they have to do. I mean, that's way even, even way beyond uh, what we went through with zebra mussels.
0: Yeah, I was looking to what they say about it. inspect your boats, blah, blah, blah. They don't mention the trailer whatsoever.
1: Yeah, because yeah, the trailer is going to be... The, your point of contact. I mean, that's what's getting dragged around, and you know, you can take and sterilize that in your local U uh, wash with a power sprayer, and you're never going to get between the boat and the uh, the bumper. They're, yeah. What they're going to have to do is they're going to have to regulate the type of trailers that can be made to support boats. That's the only way you're going to be able to do that. And I'm 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 thinking of all the stuff you've got the you got the nylon rope that you winch in the boat onto the trailer with. You got that all coiled up. You know that traps some water. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I, I just don't know how we, we fight some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, they're even talking about how you dis, disinfect your bait wells, your building systems, your cooling systems, your decks. Uh, and when you're using this bleach solution for at least 10 minutes contact time, wow. most people don't let stuff sit like that for 10 minutes.
1: No. no it's, it's, I mean, yeah.
0: Well, I sent you the other article. That says most people didn't realize it's been around since the 1800s. It's from northern Europe. And it migrated, they talked about, from in Canada. It was there back in the 1880s, and we didn't really notice it here until 1990. And now between 1990 and now it's coming rampant everywhere.
1: Yeah, just it, it seems like the, you get a year and stuff like that just takes off. In this next article we have, uh, you can you can tell that the uh, awareness on shark fitting is starting to have an impact when you get people in the industry taking up uh, crazy ideas. Uh, one shark fin merchant was saying, you must kill the sharks or they will kill you. <laughs> I mean, how's that work? That shark is, uh, you know, he's going to catch a taxi and head over to your house and knock you off.
0: I don't know. Did you read the, have you seen SASA site lately? No, I haven't. Oh, I think it was on Facebook today, Even he had a comment and there must have been coming from this. And he had some figures and I don't remember them exactly other than it was something like there's 43,000 plus accidents happen while sitting on the toilet, yet something of the neighborhood of only 16 shark attacks. Yeah. There's, and you're really making proportional about what the problem is out there. It ain't <laughs> sharks, it's your toilet seat.
1: Well, as as humans, we have a very poor idea of assigning risk. The the la- the perceived lack of control does more for us than anything else. It's the stuff that you ha- think you've got control, which is the most dangerous. In the U.S., that would have to be our highways. There's probably where you're more likely to die. And I think slow- closely after that, it's slipping and falling in the bathtub or down steps.
0: Steps is a big one. Falls. Yeah.
1: But this one, uh, this is, uh, let's let's go through the article a little bit. Uh, this is Kwong Hong Kawan, owner of Sharks Fin City. A dried fin wholesaler in Hong Kong Island made the claim he also believes that his industry is a prime target for certain glu- groups, including Greenpeace, out to disrupt the shark fin trade. Um, now, I think he's probably right. I think uh, Greenpeace and many others are out to shut him down. Uh, what he's worried about is that the Peninsula Hotel in Hong Kong has uh, decided that they are going to take shark fin off the soup as of off the menu as of January first of this year. And because the owner of that uh, hotel chain owns many other high-profile hotels, he's worried that it's going to go to all of them. And then if the prime elite hotels take it off, then he thinks the rest will follow.
0: Is he talking in a, in the States, in Europe, or in Asia?
1: Well, I think he's talking about in Asia because uh, in, in the States, it is getting rare. I mean, there's been a few places that have had it, but... I think there was one hotel in Las Vegas that still had it, uh, but I, I think it's getting more and more rare in the U.S. But this is Asia, so the concern is is that it's in his own backyard where it's uh, people are starting to question it, and they just have unsustainable fishing practices. Yeah. You can't, you know, take a shark, rip off its fin, and that's the only thing you use on it. Um, so uh, he goes on further saying that the sh- the talk about the shark the sharp decline in shark popu- population is rubbish. Dismisses research is showing an eightfold jump in threatened species since 2000 uh, which is according to World Wildlife Federation about ten thousand tons of dried fins about half the world supplier imported and traded the west end of Dovu road uh, so but the real reason why is, he says later on is for some people in the older generation like me, we depend on selling shark fins as our source of income so you know like they say follow the money
0: yep. And I, I was curious, what, what does that cost begin with for shark fin soup or something?
1: It's $100 a bowl, U.S.
0: Yeah, it, it's not the normal person going to get that, I don't think.
1: No, but the thing about it is it's kind of like anything. Uh, I'm, you've got probably the primary trade, which is going to be in the restaurants, <clears throat> but I'm sure a lot of people are able to capture sharks on their own and make their own soup.
0: Yeah, well, a black market on, on shark fin is going to go up when they start to bar it from the other people. I mean, if they got the money to pay for it, somebody's going to go out there and supply what they want. That thing that uh, Sass had, he said 1996, 43,687 people were injured by toilets in the U.S. Only 13 were injured by sharks. Time to reevaluate what you're afraid of. Yeah. And then as a secondary, he was also using, according to the Florida Museum of Natural History in 1990, there were 853 bicycle-related fatalities in the U.S., but how many sharks attacks in two, 1990, there were zero. Therefore, riding a bicycle is more dangerous than swimming with sharks. So, obviously, he's for the don't eat shark soup. And that's what yeah. his last comment was. Don't eat shark fin soup.
1: And then from shark fin soup on to other things that I, well, I would love to eat. Um, this is just a short article, a sugary rum rub down on Nevis. Um and what I thought was great about this is, is they relaunched the four-season re- resort Nevis. It had been closed for two years following Hurricane Omar. Uh, I guess they've got a new chef there, Andreas Donnerbauer, who, is, who will take scuba-certified guests to pluck their own spiny lobsters from the sea, and then he will uh, cook everything up, and they're calling it Dive and Dine.
0: I could do with the lobster, man. I mean, that's, that's the way to go. I thought you were in this part over here about where they was talking about his therapist Nikki started with exfoliation, coats the skin with a glaze of local rum, ginger and honey.
1: <laughs> no, I missed that part, but <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more about the diving. But I, I guess a an after dive rub down with rum and honey wouldn't be too bad. Mm. Now that you get to drink the rum.
0: Uh, didn't say that. They're coating their their body with this one.
1: Well, I guess that's okay too.
0: The second article they talk about now, booze may be dubbed liquid courage, but what's it done for you? Other than make you wretched the day after, but there's some little parts in here about uh, alcohols as skin care moisturizers and thickening agents. Hmm.
1: It almost it almost seems uh, like uh, sacrilege to to go and just waste all that alcohol, but I I guess.
0: Medicinal purposes, I'm sure. Oh, certainly.
1: And then here's one. I I was looking at this this boat thinking how great it would look underwater.
0: I'd like to dive it. Yeah, I'm up in Washington, right? Tacoma? Yep. But you notice, raise the millions needed to restore. That's the key word right there. In this day and age, where are you going to get the millions?
1: Yep. The ferry Kalkalica, Is that a, how many L's in, you, they got like an A after between every consonant. K-A-L-A-K-A-L-A, Kala-Kala, kala has been declared a hazard to navigation, setting stage for the Coast Guard and Army Corps engineers to decide what is next for the decaying old boat. And If you take a look at the picture, it doesn't quite look like it's in the best of condition.
0: If Being a hazard the on the other side.
1: Yeah. The, 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 hazard, uh, the hazard declaration means, among other things, the ferry's mooring arrangement is inadequate, according to the Coast Guard. Uh, according to the Army Corps of Engineers, options for dealing with the ferry include nothing, moving it if it proposes a significant threat, uh, anchoring it or pinning it so it doesn't go anywhere, and the last option would be only temporary. Um, the Coast Guard had set December 19th as a deadline for the owner, Steve Rodriguez, to repair the hull, of the, the ship and submit a plan to tow it from its berth in High Lobos Waterway, Waterway in Tacoma. Rodriguez appealed the Coast Guard order, but appears but the appeal was rejected this week uh, due to its advanced degration, the ship's hull, and lack of reliable dewatering equipment, which I assume means uh, sump.
0: Yeah, or, or an offshore type.
1: Yep. We rejected its appeal, and it wasn't sufficient, and there was no evidence, new information of anything has been done. Rodriguez could not be reached. Last week, he said he had sold the ferry to an anonymous out-of-state buyer who plans to restore it. He hasn't given the Coast Guard the name of the new buyer, nor has he provided any evidence to the Coast Guard. The 276-foot Silver Ferry with sleek lines sailed to Puget Sound from 1935 to 1967. After its ferry days, it became a fish-processing ship in Alaska, but was abandoned towed back to Washington in nineteen ninety eight with the idea that be restored, but nobody came up with the money to do so. So that's
0: been sitting there
1: for fourteen years.
0: You see the item on the side where it said vote? Yeah. The option they said is to restore her to original condition. Number two is fix her up, making a casino out of her. Three was sink her someplace somewhere offshore and use as a part of a dive park and take her out to sea and sink her.
1: Well you know the thing is that I'm gonna say by the that vessel to me screams asbestos
0: well that's why you were taking her from point a to point b and she accidentally sinks on the way to part b yeah
1: yeah because it's a beautiful looking ship i mean it's a it's a classic architectural design uh
0: definitely the old school
1: yeah so i I, but it's sad you know and I, i can see how all this came to be though i mean just a lot of money needed to make this happen
0: well, they got a couple of good-sized gull-wing doors there on the aft end. You can make that pretty safe by opening the doors like that, cutting them off. A couple of hatches on the right that you can see that are open. She'd sink pretty quick.
1: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, I I, I clicked on the vote, and uh, guess what had the most votes forty-five percent. Make a casino. No, it was sinker. <laughs> <laughs> so. had uh, uh, a local
0: water. Indian tribe out there, maybe they could take or make a casino out of her.
1: Yeah, I don't know if they require, if they do like we do in the Midwest where you have to, you do a lot of the casinos or used to have to do a lot of the casinos as a riverboat.
0: Oh, did you read the comments under it? I just started scrolling through there. No, I didn't. Uh, some of those are pretty interesting, but a lot of them said the same thing. Take her out in the sound, let her rest on the bottom. Take her up to the stall, Saltwater State Park, sink her there.
1: Yeah. And then uh, then uh, from a ship that become a reef to a plane that already is one. This had to been exciting to find. Uh, scuba divers discover an airplane submerged off the coast of Palm Beach County. This is out of Juniper, Florida. Uh, several divers had uh, gone to a spot about four miles east of the Juniper Inlet. It was a completely random drop, and the captain just dropped us right on it, said Jordan. It was totally by accident, and that was Randy Jordan, owner of Emerald Charters and Juniper. We get down to the bottom, and I see some fish that are swimming over to the right, and I followed them. They swam right up to the airplane. It was the most amazing thing. Underwater videos taken by Jordan shows the aircraft upside down on the ocean floor, wings are intact, the tail is intact, and if you go to the front of it, the engine's there with the propellers. They thought it was pretty cool. Hell divers, the name of something that a bunch of divers would find. So Jordan's never been discovered before, so nobody's so somebody's it's never been discovered before, so somebody's looking for it. I don't I guess I don't understand what he's saying there.
0: You now there's a lot of people out there who are looking for lost aircraft, especially in Florida, both from the tri- the Triangle aspect as well as missing aircraft, especially military. Mm-hmm. They're always looking for that. Uh, there's another couple of articles on this uh, I had looked at earlier today. Matter of fact, with Faulkner, and uh, I was curious how you suddenly found a, an airplane. What they were doing is tech diving. That's why they went out in the middle of wherever they were at. It wasn't a planned. Threw the anchor over. The guys went down 185 feet doing tech diving, and then, bingo, there's the airplane.
1: Yeah, because that's – I noticed the depth as well. I'm like, that's not your normal just drop down and see it. No. But then I also was thinking if you were a tech diver and – but I don't know what you'd be doing at, at with a bottom that deep. I mean, normally you'd want to be off a reef or something to see something.
0: It was a training dive is what they said.
1: Yeah, because but then with the visibility, you know, I was thinking that was another way. Maybe you weren't planning on going that deep, and then you came down and saw it. So far, there have been no representatives from the U.S. military to examine the aircraft. Uh, the group of divers uh, plan to be in talk with the military, hopes that someone can provide some answers as it is discovery. So, very cool. Yeah,
0: what they couldn't tell is whether or not there's a body still in it. Uh, I looked at a couple of different pictures of that type of aircraft, and on one of the sites they had other pictures of aircraft that were similar to it, but not that one. But it was like a double canopy. It, it almost looked like you had the um, pilot's area, a blank area, another section in the back where either torpedo man, radio man, or the gunner sat. So, if that's totally upside down, it'd be interesting to see if the canopy's there. And then if you looked at the video earlier, under the wings, you got a couple of sharks that happen to be living there.
1: That is nice. Yeah, nice well,
0: visibility.
1: Oh yeah, great visibility. And then from that we go on to a shipwreck in Sheboygan, uh, this, and I'm assuming this is Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and not uh, the Michigan Sheboygan that we go to up to.
0: Well, if they spelled it with a C, it would be ours.
1: <laughs> Maybe. So, so but what has happened is a Sheboygan shipwreck has been named to the National Register. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. The Canaller Walter B. Allen, which sank in a storm in April 1880, lies upright and intact in about 170 feet of water and is remarkably well preserved. The ship is remarkably intact, is one of the best preserved in Lake Michigan, uh, says the Deputy State Historic Preservation Officer Jim Drager. Uh, putting the ship on the National Historic Register of Historic National Register of Historic Places will help the public understand that ships like this exist in the Great Lakes waters and educate them about the importance of Great Lakes shipping to the history of Wisconsin. It also provides us some protections of property under state law. So it was built in Augensburg, New York in 1866. It was the largest canneller class of schooners built in the Great Lakes. It was typically shipped grain from Chicago to Buffalo to Oswego, New York, and then returned with coal. While on a Chicago-to-Buffalo run loaded with 19,000 bushels of grain, the Walter B. Allen ran aground on April 11, 1880, on South Manitou Island on the north end of Lake Michigan in a storm. In doing so, the ship lost large, its large anchor and mainsail. A tug from the Manistee, Michigan, came to release her, and steam pump valued at 4000 was placed on her deck to help her get to Milwaukee for repairs. While in tow, the storm picked up and pushed the waves over the ship, filling the rail and extinguishing the fires in the pump, according to history Post in the State Historical Society's website. Now, the fact that they know that the pump was valued at $4,000, they had to be been an insurance claim?
0: One would think so. Did that? they say did, did how deep that was? 170? 170 feet. I know, looking at the pictures, they're all on uh, rebreathers.
1: Yep, they're all on rebreathers, and uh, they did have a little bit of silt, looked like they had kicked up.
0: Yeah, it looked like they've got a good infestation of uh, quaggas on it, but it doesn't seem to be that thick yet.
1: No. Uh, because the uh, ship sank at a low slow rate and is located in the bottom of very deep water, the ship and its contents are left almost completely intact, making it a virtual time capsule, the 1880 shipboard life. The depth also placed it below wave action ice that breaks up shallower wrecks. There's less oxygen and until recently has also been less accessible to scav- salvagers and looters. So they're saying because it's beyond 130 feet, it's considered a technical dive, and it's not a dive that any diver can or should do. It has to be somebody with specialized training. It was officially listed and registered in early November. American deemed worthy of preservation is maintained by National Park Service and the U.S. Department of Interior.
0: And what preservation are they going to do?
1: Well, they're going to do none. It's going to be the same thing. The uh, the Muskegon in uh, Michigan City is on a national Historic register.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a verbalization, and that's about it. A...
1: Yeah. Well, they say maybe they have uh, you know, they, their laws are a little different in Wisconsin than they are in Michigan, but you know, I'm, I always question when we need more laws or more something to get something done.
0: Well, generally it's because well, they'll call everybody a salvager or a looter, and that's the whole emphasis. Stop the crime. Hadn't happened yet, but stop the crime.
1: Well, that does it for the news, but we do have a couple blog posts that I'd like to mention. We have one of them, which is by Andy. Uh, He's not in our chat room tonight, but uh, he has been in the past an IR diver on his blog. And uh, if somebody is a Star Wars fan, I thought it was an interesting twist he did on Star Wars and scuba diving. So we won't read the whole thing. You're going to have to go over there and check it out. But uh, he has Star Wars versions of all your favorite characters. Han Solo, Jabba the Hutt, the Emperor, along with some witty commentary along with it. So uh makes me think. Uh, did, did you ever get into Star Wars, Mac? No,
0: nope, nope, no, I did not.
1: Yeah, I, I, was, I was just a young kid when that came out. So that was, I don't know, transforming, warping. I don't know what you call it, but I had all that stuff. Now, if I just left everything in the box and not played with it, I'd, I'd probably have something worth quite a bit of money now.
0: Hey, buy a dry suit now. Probably could.
1: And then one other blog post uh, talking about gear and dry suits is we have one from uh, Scuba Obsessed from the archives. I've been promising that I was going to do the my gear post, and I took the photos, and then there was something about where I took the photos. It was a nice fall day, and the color correction of the photos was way out of whack. Everything looked like purple or blue. So I had to do a little bit of color correction. I'm still not 100% satisfied with the the outcome, but I don't know. I guess it's it's good enough for a blog post. But I go in there and I have all my gear, which there's there's nothing. I mean, it, if if you know, it's one of those things. I'm not my gear is not where I want it to be. So it's almost embarrassing to actually go and show it because you're you're never satisfied with it. And I think that's how most divers are. You always got something you want to tweak or tune or other priorities. So there's some gear that I got when I was just starting to learn. In fact, much of this was, and I've added to it as needs have changed. So many pieces aren't examples of really what I want, but it's just what I got before I knew what I wanted. So as I go and dive, I I start and replace. So I I go through the the article, and I, I highlight what I'm looking to get to upgrade, which, you know, the number one on the list is the dry suit but uh, pretty much everything i've got i'm i'm planning on re- on replacing but everything's got a a plan so you know even my tanks and stuff so nothing goes to waste there's not a, a single piece of gear i buy currently that i don't have a long-term plan for
0: you don't really mean replacing you mean getting extra oh of course oh
1: no everything's a backup
0: yeah there yeah. you go
1: yeah i've got two sets of gloves two sets of boots uh you know dive lights but you, know, you just have to keep adding to it then you always got extra pieces yeah so that does it for the news for this week and then uh we've had some interesting weather how's the river been looking
0: pissy really Actually, <laughs> let me rephrase that <laughs> it's still dark and gloomy uh right now i'm still leaning towards doing the new year's dive over at singer lake uh we did have an outsider give us at least five foot visibility. I just had eight or nine, but he was more conservative. Uh, it still was chilly, but uh, I think there's less hassle with the current. I will check it one more time tomorrow and then make the call.
1: So you're still holding out hope for a river dive?
0: Yeah, but not a lot. What I was thinking, though, now that we bring that up, uh, we do our New Year's dive at Stinger. And then since uh, you probably got the email I sent out that they're not going to, have an organized dive up in Holland, we could do a river dive on that day.
1: Hmm, that's an option.
0: I'd feel more comfortable with newbies out there in the in the daylight as opposed to the nighttime.
1: Yeah, yeah. because I was kind of dreading the drive up to Holland, actually, because uh, I think I talked to Jim <laughs> Kleeman just before the show, and I think he's planning on, on doing the New Year's Eve dive, and I think I've just about got it cleared to where I'm going to be able to do the New Year's Eve dive.
0: Excellent. <clears throat> if so, the lake was good, we could do a pier dive. That would be nice to do
1: on the di- on the daylight.
0: Yeah,
1: that'd be interesting. I w- I'd like that.
0: Yeah, if it wasn't oh. too bad either, we could do south or north pier, depending on which way the the wave action was or was not.
1: Huh. That's cool. That's a that's a good idea. So, but in preparation for it, last week we talked about the dive that you and I had done in Singer Lake, just to kind of scout out the site since we hadn't been there in a little bit. Yeah. And then you got another dive in this week. Yeah. And who who were you able to get with you?
0: Uh, Well, we had Mary Beth out. We were uh, trying to get something that wouldn't leak around her head so she wouldn't get brain freeze or at least not get it as quick. So at least we resolved some BC issues. And uh, she's doing a lot better now with full gloves, being able to get the fins on, even in the cold water, and lock them. So we just got to work on the the hood a little bit. Uh, Rob Knoll, he came from Valparaiso, and I think he's a a diver at... um, divers lair in that area nick of the woods mm-hmm. um he had been cruising the boards looking at what the dive clubs and divers were doing and saw that we're probably one of the most active ones meaning we get out there almost all the time gave me an email on the uh the club item uh, muddy diver and i told him where we're going to be diving and uh, he said he's going to show up and darned if he didn't
1: excellent that was very nice
0: yep. it's nice uh, and then you know, as always, I think it's as much fun to go out and have the coffee and soup afterwards because we had Jake, who was also acting in the shore sport, and uh, Richard Curtis came by. He's been at the last two. He's just chomping at the bit to get wet. So this is his, his aspirin, so to speak, since he can't get wet yet, and he's coming to help us. But it, the chats afterwards are really fun.
1: It. I, I agree. Now, was uh, the Singer Lake any different from the week before?
0: Uh, I think the visibility was a little better. Oh, excellent. Uh, I still went to the right. Um, He tagged, and we found, uh, I think it was, um, an anchor, uh, one area that the guys must have been fishing in because there are a number of beer bottles under us. Uh, Found one nice milk bottle, small one, uh, arrow, believe it or not, nice arrow. Nice fletcher still on it, point. Um, He had a real good light, so we came across some hollowed-out logs. He was looking at it, and there's a huge catfish in one of them. Uh, so I told him how to ride the catfish. You know, we've been through that one, but I'm not quite sure you'd believe me or not. I uh, found a couple of the sunken boats and then did a compass course back, landed right back where we started. It was a good dive.
1: Excellent. So that was nice to be able to get out. Did anybody else in the club get out that you're aware of?
0: Um not sure. I hadn't heard anything. A lot of people had to go to work this
1: week. It is kind of a bad week. Uh, really? This week? I would have thought it had been a good week. I almost made it other than uh, when you, because you went Tuesday and that was my son's birthday. Ah. So I talked about going and I had permission, but he and I were working on something, so spend a little family time and we'll get a dive in another day.
0: Well, I did find out the uh ice shanty, I put that back up since we had snow and stuff by uh, Tuesday. Uh huh. And I had to keep it that fifty foot away from the intakes for the fire lane. So I was under sort of an overhang of a of a tree that was just dripping water when I realized the roof of the shanty is not waterproof anymore. Ooh. So I had to toss one of those yellow tarps on it, and then it dried out this week. So I did spray it another half a can of uh, hopefully waterproofing. We'll see what happens to it.
1: Now, can are we? Is that something that we can get uh, another cover for?
0: Oh, uh, it's either gonna have to be waterproofed it again, meaning spraying it and mm. letting it cure, or getting a new one. We I can't remember how many years we've had that, but it's getting sort of threadbare even on the sides because it's like I'm inside looking out, and it's like whoa.
1: Yeah, there, you can see, yeah, I know when we do some of those ice dives and you have a bright sunny day, you can see little light, starlight twinkling through the threads. So.
0: Yeah, it, it knocks the wind out, and that's what I care about. And yeah. the heater keeps it nice and toasty.
1: It does, it does. So it, it served its purpose. But it, what we need to do is we need to uh, get some spies out to local sporting goods stores and see if anything is uh, getting ready to go.
0: Oh, I've been looking. That's absolutely right. A couple of more months, it'll be really good to look. Oh, yeah. Donald's a few of those. Uh, Mary Beth showed up, uh, Jake, and they'll have a nice little trailer for her. So she's got her own hardcover trailer. Uh, you mean trailer
1: one. trailer, travel
0: trailer? Yep, another little, little little toy box, only a small one. Oh, okay. One. That's nice. Uh, but it's all metal, so it was just nice for her. So it's nice when people start bringing that kind of stuff, because if you had to in an emergency, I'm sure they'd share.
1: Yeah. Well, plus, it's kind of nice to see what other people in the club have. You know, yeah. have some people have boats in the summer, and some people have trailers for the winter. So we can make some sort you need of them both.
0: You need them both.
1: Okay. So then, uh, as we talked about a little bit, we have dives planned. So we have our New Year's Eve dive, which the club has been doing. How many years has the club been doing that dive?
0: Well, I was looking uh, through some of the old records, and I've got a news copy with pictures from 1978. Mm <laughs> hmm. So that's 33 years that I know uh, we've been doing the New Year's, if not more than that. But it's 33 for sure.
1: Wow. That's nice. That's, and I will say nice. I
0: have not missed one yet.
1: You so, haven't missed one yet? Not one. Wow.
0: I think Sir Larry's missed one, but I think it was something he really couldn't get out of. So he's done 30, 32 of them. Well, he'll be doing this one, so I like 32. He's going kayaking on New Year's Day, so he won't be diving.
1: Wow. They're,
0: they're kayaking the Duwajak River like they did last year. Nice. So there's other options, but you're in the water, and you're wearing a suit.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the only problem with uh, doing the – got to figure out how to do the New Year's Eve dive, get my wetsuit home, get it dry enough to where we can go and do a dive the next day.
0: Well, if you put that little blower assembly, it helps on the gloves and the boots. The rest of the suit, you don't care as long as you get your long johns dry. That'll make it not so cold when you put it on. Then put the water in, you're good.
1: There you go. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure get out something. Nice.
0: It is nice having dry boots and dry gloves, though.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just nice starting off warm. Well, or... even if
0: it didn't, like Maribeth, she had a she had a nice tub of hot water. So you know how we're carrying two and three jugs? Mm-hmm. She just had one huge barrel. She had a barrel? <laughs> it was a small barrel, but she had her booties and stuff in there. It's like, that's the way to do it. You don't care if it's wet. It's hot. Was
1: well, that what she had in the trailer? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> I've thought about doing that. There's been times where when my suit hasn't gotten completely dry, I've wanted to do that.
0: Oh, there's nothing wrong with, there's no such thing as having too much warm water.
1: No, not at all. Uh, And then, then after, let's, so let's, let's go look forward another week beyond uh, New Year's. Now, now we're thinking about ice.
0: Yes. Yes, we are.
1: So we'll have to do, uh, we'll have to keep our fingers crossed and hopefully have some ice building. I've heard a lot of people in the club are all anxious for Lake 16 to freeze over so then get back there again.
0: Well, I haven't got the dates up, but I was going to start putting them. I started putting some itinerary that I will transfer for 2012. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the first item is January 17th, is the first club meeting for the new year. But uh, the Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival is in February the 25th this year, and the Go Ships is in April. So things are switched around a little bit. I don't have the date for my Wild World Under Order yet, but I thought that was in February.
1: Yeah, in the chat room, we got a little bit of excitement out of New Year's diving and, and talking about ice already. Uh, when does the ice melt is one of the questions.
0: When it gets bold, <laughs> warmer than 32 degrees.
1: <laughs> so, But normally, February is a, a safe bet. I don't think we've had a February where we haven't had ice from beginning to end.
0: Yeah, January, February are your two months.
1: Yeah, but as you get to the end of February, you start getting some of those sunny days. And then, you know, from about march 1st on you never know and what's weird is if you don't have the you know just because it's 32 33 degrees that water underneath the ice is actually starts to warm up I haven't quite figured out how that works so it, it always seems like the first ice dive of the year you get you know 32 to 35 degrees all the way down and then it seems you go a couple of weeks later and it starts getting almost a 40 along the bottom so, I don't know if the ground temperature is leaching out into the water and then the ice is actually acting as an insulator. I don't know. So, I don't know. Maybe somebody needs to do a study on that. But I do know when we cut that triangle, it never is as big at the end of the dive as it was at the beginning.
0: You mean the triangle of ice that's left over? Yeah, when I we agree. take that
1: chainsaw and cut out that triangle. When you put it back in, it always seems to be two or three inches on each side that that gap has grown.
0: Yeah. Well, depending on how cold it is, because when it's really cold, I've had it to you. If you don't continue dip out the hole, it'll freeze over. <laughs> oh, we're talking about the Our uh, World Underwater. That's February 17th and the 19th. So February is uh, there's going to be two major events going on in February.
1: Yeah, we have to get that in the calendar. We have Our World Underwater. Right. We have the uh, the Shipwreck Festival over there in Rich's Neck of the Woods. Yep, Ann Arbor. And then we also have the Ghost
0: Ships. Right. That'll be up at the uh, windbin Wimbled- Uh, Hotel and Convention Center in Milwaukee.
1: Yep, and then it seems like MSRA usually has something uh, about March time frame, don't they, up in Holland? Uh,
0: They did last year. I assume they will.
1: Yeah, I think the last two years they have.
0: Yeah, I'll even post a date for the GL's, the uh, Gilboa Quarry meet. That's in April. But uh, there's a good number of items already that I'll be able to post so we can, you know, keep heads up on.
1: Yep, and then also I'm seeing a lot of activity on the preserves. I know that the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve has got some meetings coming up, and I'm sure that some of the conversation will be uh, dealing with, with Max Rec.
0: Well, I thought January 7th. Now that you say that, I believe they had uh, a preserve meeting on the January 7th, but Jim is out there, so I'm sure he can.
1: Yeah, because they uh, had that, that preserve meeting, and they, it was like double booked. You had the Southwest Michigan Preserve meeting, and then you had the Michigan Underwater Preserves, which is the whole organization of uh, about all the preserves.
0: Right. So even if you can't dive, lots of
1: things you can go to. certainly is. It's a time time of year. And if you've been thinking about diving, especially if you can get to that one in Chicago, uh, I haven't been to DEMA, but I'd have to believe that uh, outside of DEMA, that's got to be one of the bigger dive shows. That one's been going on for a long time. And there's seminars, things to see, gear. I mean, all the major gear manufacturers seem to have booths there. At least they have the last couple times I've been there.
0: Right. I, I like the uh, our world because there's usually some kind of programs that I'm interested in. Um, I looked at the itinerary for the uh, Great Lakes. They don't have a large selection right now, so you might want to take a look at it before you buy your tickets. But, it's, you know, always check and see what kind of uh, program they're going to have, especially if there's something in there you really want to go to.
1: You know, I'd like to buy the tickets in advance, but in, it seems to be cheaper to door for me because I'm not going to go both days. Seems are you how like
0: old are you talking about?
1: Any of them. You know, mo- most uh, of the shows, or at least the multi-day shows, I should say, most of the multi-day shows, if you're not going to go for both days, you can't buy a single day ticket in advance. So,
0: Yeah, but, and most of them are really Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
1: Yeah, and uh, I don't, I'm don't. i just not going to take that much time. Plus, I mean, I guess, I mean, and, and we're scoop obsessed, but I, you know, to me, That is a, that is a lot of, you really have to like the seminars. When I go to something like that, it just makes me anxious to dive. So I don't know. That's like torture. The third day of seeing all the stuff I want to dive, I would just go crazy.
0: Well, I like the go ships because one, if you want to do the rebreather courses, uh, the the intros, that's a good place to do it. They do a lot of brand new rec releases at the go ships. And that's heavily or more heavy tech oriented for tech diving, meaning the gear you're going to find will be of a different variety. And end-of-the-year sales, you know, the possibility of picking up some nice gear there is always present.
1: Yeah, that that is a good one. I, that's one I've been talking about doing for a while because I'd love to try a rebreather out just to kind of get an idea about it.
0: It is fun.
1: Okay. So, I think that's about it. God, it always, always makes me so sad when we get to this time of the show.
0: Well, a lot of people wait for a few moments and then they're sadder. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's always something to be even even sadder about.
0: I don't know. Sometimes they're good. Let me tell you,
1: they're uh, so bad they're good. Okay, so I've got two of them here. Let me see which one should I do. I think I'll stick with this this first one. I got another one. I just maybe that one. I'll we'll have to give shots of drinks to all everybody in the chat room to be able to do it. So okay, here we go. Several fishermen are sitting around the old potbelly stove one winter day, shooting the bull. One of the fishermen says, I was down in Table Rock Lake this fall, and I caught a 35-pound largemouth bass. It took me 30 minutes to reel it in. One diver pipes up. That's nothing. Last spring, I was down on Norfolk Lake. I don't know how it got there, but I ran across this old Spanish galleon. It was about 80 feet of water. It was so well preserved, the candle in one of the lanterns was still lit. The fisherman says, ah, come on. Tell the truth about the galleon. The diver replies, you get that largemouth bass down to size, and I'll go back and blow out the candle.
0: <laughs> Fisherman and a diver telling tales. I don't know. That's
1: kind of, <laughs> it's a kind of a dangerous combination.
0: Yeah. But you know how those fishermen exaggerate. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> of course, we would never do it in diving. You know, visibility. Yeah, that's.
0: Of course not
1: no i mean everybody agrees on what this is like
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so until next time go out there and get wet
0: and stay safe
1: call recording has been completed so, how's everybody in the chat room doing? A lot of great conversations going on. Uh, Poseidon, Dave is saying Poseidon's going to be doing the rebreather tour again this year. I want to hit that up. Let's see who we got that I can we'll bring in here.
0: Well, don't be out there in
1: the rain. Somebody needs to mute, talk to you. Yeah, that, that was Joe. I think he got it. So, have we gotten everybody who wanted in? I don't think I've got Lisa. I don't know if we got anything for Lisa. So how's everybody doing tonight?
0: Oh, I can't complain at all, Darren. That's I just cool. told Mitch. I just told Mitch and Lisa to uh, jump on Skype. Somebody still has uh, talks you up. Can you guys hear me? Yep, we can, can you hear you, Jim.
1: Okay, I wasn't sure if this mic was working or not. Sorry, Darren, I missed. Good part of the show, Zach. My son called, and I had to talk with him. Oh, no problem.